Thank you, Corey. Good morning, church. Christ is risen. Let's try that again. I say Christ is risen. You say whatever you want to say, but say it with strength, okay? (laughs) Don't be bringing half time here. This is full time. Christ is risen. All right, there you go. (laughs) I love you guys. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are thrilled to have you with us. What we do now is we dive into the Word of God, and I have found it helpful if you can have that Word open, the Bible open, and you can be reading the words with me. So if you don't have a Bible, maybe slide up next to someone that does have one. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with the screen here, but there you go. Um, And if you would like a Bible, we have one on this table right here to my right, right where Patrick is standing. Feel free to grab one. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. But it would be helpful if you could read these words and follow along in Scripture. This is God's Word. We believe here at Palm Vista that this is God's Word. It is actually the Word of God, and it is what God has given us to reveal Himself to us. So there's nothing more important this morning than to read that and to see that and to let that affect your life. So Ephesians, it's in the New Testament. If you can see my Bible there, it's almost at the very end of the Bible. See all that right there? So it's right over here. It's page 977 in my Bible, but I doubt it would be that in yours. So we're in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. These are Christians, many of them young Christians, many of them suffering Christians, many of them Christians who are afraid, Christians who are figuring out their faith, Christians that sometimes just don't know, where is God? Is is He really here? Can I really trust Him? Many of them are coming from a a life of, 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 of sexual immorality, Uh, idolatry, worshiping other gods, greed, uh, anger, murder. They were in bondage, just enslaved to to gods and things in their own lusts that were just killing them. And that God, by His grace, sends His Son to die on the cross and raise again from the dead and give them new life. And so Paul's writing to them, and he's writing to us this morning. And let me just set this up for you. I'm going to be reading here... Two verses that we're going to study this morning. These two verses are called a doxology. Dox is the word for glory. Doxology is to give glory. So what's happening in these two verses in Ephesians 3, by the way, Ephesians 3, verse 20, is these two verses, verses 20 and 21, come at the end of a very wonderful prayer that Paul prayed in verses 14 to 19. And so uh, before I read this, let me just, again, set this up for you. How many of us have, have... said the Lord's Prayer, said the Our Father. Yeah. If you grew up Catholic, you may have said it a lot of times, particularly when you got in trouble, right? Okay. I don't know of any prayer that's more well-known than the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. People say it all the time, and I want to use that to sort of illustrate what a doxology is. So if you bear with me, I'm sure you're used to this, but the Our Father, many of us grew up saying this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you grew up an evangelical, an Episcopalian, or a Presbyterian, you then add, this was said as well. For thine, say it with me, for thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
That's a doxology. You got it? So Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he says, when you pray to God, pray this way. You're asking God, you're you're saying, you're my father if you're in Christ. God is your father, and then you're asking him for things. You're asking him for your daily bread, sustenance to eat. You're asking him for forgiveness as you would forgive others because you've been forgiven. You're asking him to deliver you from evil. We sang about this. And then at the end of that prayer, what you're doing, what you're saying here, is you're saying, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever and ever. In other words, what you're saying is, God, I believe that you are great. You are the Lord over all. Yours is the kingdom. You have all power. Yours is the power. You have all glory. Yours is the glory. So I have confidence in you. That's what a doxology is. You get that? In essence, you're saying, I've just prayed to you, and I'm confessing, I'm ascribing to you power and glory to answer this prayer. I believe, God. I believe. That is what we have here. So let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power, there's the power, at work within us, to him be the glory, there's the glory, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Do you see the similarities? Now, Paul, this is Paul's prayer. But just like with the Lord's Prayer ending in a doxology, so Paul's prayer ends in a doxology. Last week we preached on that actual prayer. What what he asked for in that prayer is amazing. He, He asked that we would all be strengthened according to the riches of God's glory. That we'd be strengthened inside of our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, we may know the love of Christ, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? And at the end of that, he concludes by saying, to you is the power and the glory, God. I ascribe to you the power to fulfill this prayer. God is powerful. God is glorious. And Paul is ascribing or crediting to God all the power, all the glory. I know you can answer my prayers, God, because you are powerful and you are glorious. And that's what God calls us to do this morning. You see, this prayer is about God's power and his glory. Actually, this prayer is about us ascribing to God the power and glory do him. That is the main point. Ascribe to God the power and glory do him. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help us in that. Lord, I ask you in Jesus name that you would give me power to preach this message and that you by your spirit would open up the hearts and minds of everyone here Lord, to hear your gospel and to respond. For to you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. All right, so point number one, ascribe to God the power, do him. Ascribe to God the power, do him. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. Ascribe to God the power, do him. Point one. Look at Ephesians 3.20. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now, see this phrase here in, in, in verse 20. Now to him who is able, who is able. That little English translation, who is able, comes from the Greek word dunamai. And then dropping down to the second part of verse 20, who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That word power, that English word power, is translated from the Greek word dunamis. Now what do those two words sound like to you? Dynamite. The reason those two words sound like dynamite is because our English word for dynamite comes from these words. It actually comes from the word dunamai. So what Paul is saying here is that God is powerful. He's ascribing power to God. He actually concludes his prayer by ascribing to God the power due his name. Explosive power. You want to know what kind of power Paul is ascribing to God? Well, look at the first part of verse 20 again. Now to him who is able, dunamai, to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. That's a lot of power. Now, in a moment, we're going to get into what we can ask or think. I can ask and think for a lot of things. And God is saying, Pino, whatever you can ask, whatever you can think, in fact, put all that this church can ask or think, in fact, put all that every Christian can ever ask or think, put it all together, I, I can do not just more, but look at it. Look at the verse again. Far more. And not just far more, but far more abundantly. That's power. Forget the genie in the bottle. You only get three wishes with the genie. God is all-powerful. This is the God to whom we pray. Now, the question is this. What is this power? What is this power of God that is able, dunamai, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think? What is this power, dunamis, what is this dynamite that is at work within us if we are in Christ? Okay, that's a good question to ask this text. To answer that question, let's stay in the same book, Ephesians, with the same author, Paul, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And let's look at chapter 1 to answer that question. What is this power? Look at chapter 1 and look at verses 19 and 20. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And this is what Paul writes at the beginning of this book. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his... Power. Now notice, immeasurable greatness. I love it. These adjectives are amazing. Immeasurable greatness. Far more abundantly. This is power, guys. What is this power? Okay. Immeasurable greatness of his power, verse 19, chapter 1. Toward us who believe, very similar phraseology to what we just read. According to the working of his great might. So very similar, this power working in us. Verse 20. Here it is, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Oh, friends, God's power at work in us is the operation of his mighty strength exerted in the resurrection of Christ. 
That's what verse 20 of chapter 1 tells us. That's the power. This is the same power which raised Christ from the dead, enthroned him in the heavenlies, and, by the way, raised us from the dead and enthroned us with him in the heavenlies. This is the power that's at work within us. And it achieves, catch this, back to chapter 3, verse 20, it achieves far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think, greater than we can imagine. Greater than we can imagine. Forget Disney. Great imagination, better than mine. Far greater than that. Greater than anything you can imagine. Greater than any blessing you can imagine. Greater than any resolution of a conflict in your life that you can imagine. Imagine. Greater than anything you or I can imagine. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead. Because, because Christ was raised from the dead, we're raised from the dead. Because Christ lives, we live. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, this power to do immeasurably more than we can imagine is working in us. It's working in us. Why? Why? What makes this so powerful? Because here's what this power did. This power broke the greatest power over mankind that there is. You know what that power is? Death. Death. It broke The bonds of death. That's what the Bible says. Man, fearing death, is enslaved by sin. Death, which is the result of the curse. And if you're new to church, I just want to explain briefly that at the beginning of mankind, God made man to have perfect fellowship, perfect friendship with God, to rule this earth under God's authority. And it was going great. They were in a place called the Garden of Eden, paradise. But man chose to go his own way. And he chose to sin against God. And God said, the day you choose to go your own way, this day you choose to eat the fruit that I said you may not eat, you can have everything else but that, right? Just like us, right? If we're told you can have everything else but that, that's the first thing we want. It's called sin. And so God, so man said, forget you, God. I'm going to be God in my own life. And God said, the moment you do that, you will die. And the curse of death has hung over mankind since the beginning. And that curse is final. Everybody dies. The rich, the poor, the famous, the not so famous, the strong and the weak. We will all die. This earth is dying. Death is all around us. The curse of death, born into it, laboring under it. Look around you. There's death everywhere, folks. I don't have to tell you that. Everywhere, grass dies for lack of water. My front lawn. People die because of disease, or eventually old age gets you. My in-laws were just with us um, from Phoenix. I I love my my mother and father-in-law, Ralph and Mary. They were here with us last week. and My my father-in-law is is 80 now. Uh, and, And I just noticed on this last trip, he's slowing down. A once vibrant man worked for Ford Motor Company for 47 years. Started working when he was 15. Hard-working man from Detroit, Michigan. And he's slowing down. There were times that we'd be together in the afternoon and he would just fall asleep. Uh, he has aches and pains. In fact, one of the most poignant conversations we had was at the breakfast table. And he said, you know, he said, Al, I want to tell you that, that uh, your mother-in-law and I, we're going to sell our house in Phoenix. We're going to move into a, like a, an assisted living type facility. And I said, Dad, Why? He said, he said, son, I just, I don't want to, I want to make it easy for you guys. Desi has three 
brothers and sisters. I have two brothers and sisters. And he said, I just want to make it easy for you guys. I don't want you to have to hassle, fly all the way out to Phoenix, deal with a house. And I said, Dad, Dad, Desi and I now are getting up in, in age. Our oldest two are married. Uh, we have two at home, but they're, they're, they're really independent. They're working. They're going to school. I said, we'll take care of you. We'll fly out there. I'll take a couple of weeks off. We'll settle things. Don't worry. Dad, the home is paid for. You're in a great community. Live your final days there. But the fact that we had to have that conversation was sad. Death. Horrible death. Death of relationships. Death of dreams. Death all around us. But Christ came to conquer death. That's why we're jumping around singing and laughing and shouting this morning. He did this by first living a perfect life. He did what Adam failed to do. He obeyed his father perfectly. He was the only man ever born that didn't deserve to die. But yet, he willingly chose the curse of the cross. He chose to climb up on that cross, to be nailed to that cross. He chose to be beaten and have his back flayed open. He chose to hang naked on that cross for six hours to be mocked and cursed and to endure pain that's unspeakable, pain that is inhuman. But even more than that, he chose to endure the wrath of God, the death that we deserve. Why? Why? I want to know why. Here's why. Because God is generous. Because God gave His Son to give us life. Jesus experienced death for us so that we might have life. He lay there in that tomb, dead, dead as anyone can be. Totally dead, like Corey said, he wasn't in a coma. (laughs) He wasn't lethargic. He was dead. Horrible death. It looked like the enemy, the greatest enemy, had won. It looked like the powers of darkness had won. They were rejoicing. They were throwing a party in hell. They were rejoicing. We did it. We beat the Son of God. But, oh, friends, three days later, the immeasurable power of God, the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead was exploded like a dynamite, like a neutron nuclear bomb, and it exploded the power of death, and Jesus burst forth from those grave clothes, and he lives, friends. He lives. And that immeasurable power is what works in us today. See, we don't serve an impersonal God. We don't serve some force that's out there that raises people from the dead. No, we serve a personal God, our Father, who raised His Son from the dead that we might be adopted as sons and daughters. We were dead and now we're alive, as Corey read in Ephesians 2. Oh, friends, we must ascribe power to God. The power do His name. No matter how low we feel, no matter how dead we might feel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate power that gives us life. It's the power that works in us. It is this power that is able to do for us far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Look back at verse 20. The first part of the verse. Now to him who is able to to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. We just talked about that power. What is that power? We've defined that power. Now let's jump back up to the first part of, of verse 20. What does this mean? That he's able, dunamis, dunamai, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. It's the power to give us what we wouldn't even think to ask for. I think it starts there. And I'm talking about the forgiveness of your sins. I'm talking about the hope of eternity. I'm talking about the power to reconcile you to God. To give you a heavenly hope. To raise you to be in heavenly places with Christ. It's the power that that shouts to us. Hope. And life, when our circumstances in this world shout to us hopelessness and death. Now here's the question. Do you know this power? My dear Christian, my dear non-Christian friend, my dear unbelieving friend, thank you for coming today. Thank you so much. But, but if you do not know and believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, personally, as Corey said, worshiping from the heart. You cannot know this power. You are hopeless and without God in this world. Death is working in you, and one day will take you. This power is only given to those in Christ. It is given by the Spirit of God, who is here right now. The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the resurrected Christ is with us right now. And if you're listening to my voice, and if you suddenly understand the power of God and the gospel that I've been preaching, then I pray now, my friend, in your heart, as the Spirit gives you life, as the Spirit opens up your mind, that you would be able to understand that God will do for you far more abundantly than you can ask or think or even think to ask, and that you would bow your knee to Him and just cry for mercy. And He will give you life. My dear Christian brother or sister, do you know this power in your life right now? See, for you, this power is not some impersonal concept, but a personal Savior. And you know this Savior. But do you know, I mean, really know this power? Is this power working in you right now? His resurrection power in your life. Is the resurrection at the core of your being, your faith, your very life? Let me just just illustrate this for you. And I'm preaching to myself when I preach this. This week, I, I called Corey and I, I just said, Corey, I, I'm not doing well in my soul. I, I'm seeing a lot of death around me. <laughs> you ever see that movie, The Sixth Sense? I see dead people all the time. You know, it's, Don't see it if you haven't seen it, but there is a line in there. That's, one person has the ability to see dead people. I know. But if it works for you as an illustration, I, I'm just, I'm seeing... I'm seeing the death all the time. There is this this term in the theology, the Reformed theology, covenantal theology. It's called the already, not yet. And what it means is that the power and the resurrection and the ultimate victory of Christ that will come at his second coming breaks into today. So we get little pieces of it, the already, but it's not yet because people still die today. People still get cancer. Good people, godly people. People still have accidents People still endure uh, uh, sin against them. They're robberies. People's homes are broken into. Relationships still are broken. That's the not yet. And so I said to Corey, I'm I'm seeing a whole lot of not yet. 
and not a whole lot of already. My eyes are blinded to the victory of Christ, which is invisible, but it's real. And I'm seeing the visible death. And the power doesn't seem to be working in my life. And I feel beaten down, discouraged. And and what my friend did to me, he preached, not in a preachy way, he shared with me this passage, this message. He says, Al, Christ is risen. Al, if Christ weren't risen, you'd still be in your sins. The marriages that have been restored in this, in this church wouldn't be restored. Sin would conquer people's lives, and we know it hasn't. We, we'd have no hope. But he said, Al, Christ is risen from the dead. There are signs everywhere. The greatest sign is that he rose from the dead. That's, if I could build an altar right here. This is the, the resurrection of Christ, but there's signs all over the place. I look at my friends, the Gonzaleses, and I remember 15 years ago when they came into my office, a young couple, young Christians, no children, and they said, you know what? We're coming here to tell you we're getting a divorce. It's nice to meet you. It's, your church is nice, but you know, we just thought we'd pay you the courtesy. They didn't even know to ask for some things. They had no idea how abundantly God could answer their prayers. And 15 years later, I see a signpost of the already. I see a signpost of the resurrection power of Christ working in them. They now have three beautiful children. They are now pillars and leaders in the church. I asked them if I could share this yesterday. They said, please, by all means. And there are many other signs. If I could build little altars all around this, this platform to say, there's the already, there's the already, there's the already. Yeah, mixed in, there's going to be death. There's going to be the families that are no longer here. There's going to be the people that I cry over that are divorced. They were good friends of mine. Men that I was in the ministry with years and years, 25 years ago. I can cry to you about the churches that have been split. Friends that have died of horrible diseases. I've stood at their bed and, I, and I've just, I've wanted to curse death. Then I remember, but Christ rose from the dead and though their body is dying, they are alive and one day I'll see them again in heaven. But in this world, the not yet can beat us up, can it? Especially if you have a string of not yets, you know what I mean? You know, when the, when the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling low, I simply remember, okay, sound of music. That one you can watch, you can watch sound of music. I see Mary Poppins all the time. Some of you just got that one. Um, but, but seriously, listen, how many of you here, and don't raise your hand, I mean, the dog's biting, the bee's stinging. It seems like every time you turn around, someone's giving you bad news. There goes the job. There goes the promotion. There goes that relationship. Why are we in such conflict? There goes the bank account. There goes my health. Fill in the blank. Life just is not happening the way you had anticipated. And you're praying like crazy. See, now's the time we must remember to God be all the power. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's my hope. That's my hope. But not only does he have all the power, I want you to go back to the first part of verse 20. He has all the power. He's able to do, but look, far more abundantly. Circle that, far more abundantly. See, D.A. Carson says, 
that this text tells us that God is not only all-powerful, but he's extremely generous. Hey, can I borrow a dollar? Sure, here's a hundred. Whoa! I'll take it. Is it real? You know, only Miami. Let me get my pen out and make sure it's real. Dude, you asked for a dollar, I gave you a hundred. You're checking to see if it's real. God's generosity leads us to, 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 to give him, ascribe to him power. He gives us far more than we can ask or imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but I can ask and imagine and think about a lot. I mean, I've got big dreams. Thank you. I can ask for my dear family and friends and some of you who are here today who don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, really know Him. I mean, saved. You know, really worshiping. I can ask Him that they would be saved and join the church. I can ask God for the many people in South Florida, one of the most unchurched areas in the nation. In fact, some say it's the number one unchurched area in the nation. Maybe number two. Who cares? Number one or two. It's close. But I can ask that there be a revival where hundreds and thousands of people are giving their life by the Spirit of God because God has called them and their blind eyes are open and their deaf ears are unstopped and they understand the gospel and are saved and they join churches and there's a revival. I can ask for that. I can ask for Palm Vista Community Church and our two sister churches, Sovereign Grace Church Miami in Westchester and Riverside Christian Fellowship in Coral Springs to grow spiritually, grow numerically so that we together might display God's glory to our community in humble service, changed lives, marriages restored, many more Marcos and Beckys, children who honor their parents and go against the grain of this world, mercy ministries to the poor and the helpless, care for women in unwanted pregnancies, I can ask and think about many, many crisis care pregnancy areas that are fully funded, Jeannie. I I, I can think about, listen, listen, guys, I can think about, I can see in my mind a new church building for Palm Vista. Where, Where much of this ministry can flow, where we can have a more permanent and visible presence in the community, I can think and envision of the gym that we would have there, multi-purpose, so the gym would also turn into the the sanctuary. And during the week, the gym would be used to host basketball leagues and volleyball leagues and bring in folks from our community who don't know Christ that we could share Christ with them. I could see Aikido classes happening where Sergio beats people up and (laughs) ostensibly teaching them how to defend themselves. Where are you, Sergio? All right, yeah. I can see classrooms in this, in this building where, where dance is being taught, music, the arts, drama. How about you? What, what can you ask and think about before God? Friends, this text says that God is able, power, dunamai, to do far more, far more, far more abundantly than what we can ask or think. Again, referencing D.A. Carson, God loves to give good gifts to his children. We can't ask for good things beyond God's power to give them. (laughs) Is this your view of God? An all-powerful and generous father 
who loves to give gifts to his children. If so, then you will ascribe to God the power that is his. You will remember his resurrection power and the power that raised Christ from the dead. And this will fill you with faith. And you will remember that power being worked in marriages and lives all around you and in your life. And you'll raise up these altars in your life and you'll look to them when the dog bites and the beast stings and things aren't going well. You're going to go look back at that altar and say, God has the power. He's able to do far more abundantly than I can ask or think because he's powerful and he's generous. My friend Mickey McDaniel helped me with this yesterday as he brought me lunch while I was preparing the message. I thought this is a great phrase. If we forget what God has done, we doubt what he will do. If we forget what he has done, we doubt what he will do. And instead of praying to our powerful and generous God, listen, instead of praying to our powerful and generous God, we will gossip about our powerful and generous God and we will complain to others that he's weak and stingy. Listen, we have a choice. We pray to God, we talk to God, or we gossip and slander about him to others with weakness and and, and lies that he's stingy. And the difference is, do I remember what he's done? the power that's working in me. Second point. We are not only to ascribe to God the power due him, but we're to ascribe to God the glory due his name. Look at verse 21 with me, please. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That word glory is the Greek word doxa. Uh, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And in the Old Testament, this this concept of doxa or glory is simply the brightness or radiance of God's presence. So to give God glory or to ascribe the glory due his name is not to add anything to God. We're not adding something to God. Rather, it's an active acknowledgement or extolling of who he is and what he's already done. You see the pattern? We just prayed to God. Pray to God some amazing things, and now to build our faith, we're, we're, we're ascribing to him power, the power to do it far abundantly more than we can ever think or, 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 or ask, and then we're ascribing to him glory for what he's done, glory for that power in the resurrected Christ. Now, I want you to see something in verse 21. It's very unusual. By the way, there are several doxologies in the New Testament. You might want to go, instead of doing an Easter egg hunt today, do a doxology egg hunt today in the New Testament, Okay. Go hunt for doxology in the New Testament. You can do an Easter egg hunt. I'm just kidding, okay? But this is a more important hunt. And, and, and look, all the times doxologies are in the New Testament, this is the only time, guys, where you have the church, the church, the term church, and the phrase in Christ appearing together. In fact, it kind of seems a little odd, doesn't it? You know, it says here, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. All right, so we're going to get to that in a second. But here's the point I think that's being made here. The church is the great masterpiece of God's grace. Now, we've been preaching this here previously. The church is the place where God's presence and his authority are expressed on earth. In fact, we we preached earlier in chapter 3, the church is the place where the mystery of the gospel is actually made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. So the church is the place where God's truth is preached on earth, where the pillar and support of truth. The church is the place where the mystery is revealed to the heavenly 
rulers and authorities. Now remember, the Ephesians, they were very superstitious. As I've mentioned before, the Ephesians lived in a culture that was like Santeria on steroids. I mean, I mean, they were really afraid of spiritual beings. And, and, and so they practiced this witchcraft to, to, to be safe from these spiritual beings. And, and, and the gospel comes and says, you don't have to worry about those rulers and authority. I'm above all them. Ascribe to me the power. And I'm going to declare the mystery of the gospel through you to them. You see, the church, the church is the heavenly gathering in which believers, as members of the body of Christ, participate. The church is the assembly, the final assembly, like we're assembled here today, the final assembly when Jesus comes back in the heavenly places. And so, remember that already not yet thing I talked about? What what we're doing this morning, guys, what we're doing this morning by gathering is ascribing glory to God. I want you to get that. What just coming here You're ascribing glory to God. Why? Because we, this is why Sundays are so important. This is why assembling is so important. Listen, we gathering today, you know what we're doing? You know what we're shouting? One day there's going to be a final assembly. One day there's going to be a final church service. And Jesus will be himself right there in his resurrected body. And we in resurrected bodies, all the saints from all eternity, the true church of God will be there worshiping, gathering God's people. This is a pointer to that. (laughs) Already not yet? There's a lot of not yet here. Okay? Probably starting with my preaching. (laughs) Sometimes the sound. Whoa, that was nice. Oh. (laughs) Listen, Jesus, when he preaches, and I'd love to hear Paul preach, wouldn't you? But, But there's a lot of things here. The sound, sometimes we meet in a middle school. It's like, okay, but there's so much already here. There's people's lives that have been changed. There's the word of God that's already here. Don't let the not yet, the troubles of the church, the the, the deficiencies of the church, even some people in the church who are not yet what they're going to be, look in faith on the already. Why? Because God's glory in the church. Now, here's the point looking at verse 21, cannot be separated from His glory in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. And we ascribe glory to God in Christ together. You can't do it alone. That's the point. See, this expression of incorporation into Christ Jesus together signifies that believers are able to ascribe glory to God because they are in Christ just look, just look quickly back with me to Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, it's in Christ that we ascribe glory to God, and it's together that we ascribe glory to God. You cannot ascribe the glory to God that God intends for you to ascribe alone. Not sufficiently. Now you do, you understand me. There is a personal side to this. When you obey God and when you help others and we share the gospel, that brings glory to God. But don't you see, this is written corporately, guys. This is what we often miss as Americans. This is saying that you ascribe glory to me just when you gather. Just as gathering speaks to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, and they don't like it. Hence the dog bites and the bee stings. <laughs> it's a battle. 
It's a battle. But it's a battle that our God has won on the cross. We sang about it earlier. Jesus has made an open show of all these forces, and he has defeated all these forces. And we have that power working in us. When the dog bites and the bee stings, and when everything's going great. When I get everything I want, when I'm healed, when I got the car I need, which I still don't have, by the way. Uh, when, when I get everything that I need, then... Yeah, we can glorify God. But when none of that happens, and when I seem to fail, and when I make decisions that, why did I do that? And I I say the thing I said I wasn't going to say to my spouse in that conflict. Oh, I said it again, you know. Or or I I do that thing I don't want to do. Listen, even in that moment, when we come together in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our deficiencies, in the midst of the not yets, and we come together and we declare the alreadys. We declare the victory of Christ together. We ascribe glory to God. Friends, the church was birthed through Christ's resurrection, because Christ was brought to life, the church was brought to life in order to display and ascribe glory to God forever and ever. And that's how it ends. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. The church, the church, we will be ascribing glory to God throughout all generations forever and ever. And then the whole church said, amen. And all that means is they're saying, yes, indeed, that is going to happen. So here's my appeal to you. Actually, I believe this is God's appeal to you this morning. The doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer, remember that one? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is a statement that the Father is able to answer the Son's prayer. And the doxology at the end of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Is a statement that the Father is able, yet more than able, he's generously, powerfully going to answer beyond what we ask or think our prayer. Why? Because we're alive in Christ. Because we're alive in Christ. Here's my question as we go to prayer. Are you alive in Christ? And if you are, is the power of the resurrection actively working in your lives? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that this morning you've given me the privilege to share your word to many people, many of whom um, I do not know personally. And Lord, I thank you that you would, uh, you would open up hearts. Hmm. The already not yet. Lord, we're, we're, we're very aware of the not yet, of where we fail, of where we fall short. Would you make us more aware of the already? Would you make us more aware of what Christ has done? Would you make us more aware of the power that you exhibited in raising Jesus from the dead? This power that works in us. This power that works in us so that you do abundantly, far more abundantly than we can ask or think. I just want to pause right now and just just say, if God is speaking to your heart, you're here. And there's an inkling, there's something stirring in you that this is making sense to you. The gospel's making sense. Oh, respond to God. Respond to God. Respond to God. It's God who's calling you. He's using my mouth, but it's God, the Holy Spirit, who's calling you and perhaps giving you life and understanding.
Lord, help us to ascribe glory to you on the good days and the bad days. The days we get all we want and the days we get nothing that we want and much we don't want. May we know that we've been called to ascribe glory to you, that our chief end is to glorify you together. Together. May we do it together. Together. And declare the mystery of your gospel. In Jesus' name. I want to I walk you through the words of the song that we're going to sing alive. You can just stay seated for a moment. If you wouldn't mind, please put the first verse up there. We sang this song. I just want to walk you through these words so that as you sing these words, listen to me, church, we are in a, in a unique way ascribing glory to God. It's good for you to sing this on your way to work. People looking at you in the car are thinking, why is that guy singing at the top of his lungs? He's crazy. It's good, okay? It's good for you to hum it to yourself during the day. It's good for you to sing it in your quiet time like I do early in the morning. No one can hear me. But this is a special time. God's people are gathered. The holy assembly that is pointing to that day, the holy assembly will be worshiping God face to face. We'll see Jesus as he is and he will be perfecting us and he will glorify us. And so these words are so important. My heart of stone was dead to you. Corey said that. Ephesians 2, I was dead. Asleep within a world that scorned its maker. I scorned my maker. Until you breathe into my soul, the Spirit of God regenerates, makes alive our dead souls. And I woke up to you. Now notice, my glorious Savior. Now this is the sign. Corey says, you want to know if you're born again? You want to know if you're alive? Are you worshiping? Do you want to worship? Has God put it in your heart? Why? Because you became my all. You became my all. He can't just be another God you put on your mantle to see if your life will get better. He's Lord. He's Lord. And then the chorus. Now I'm alive. I am alive in you, in Christ. And you are alive. You are alive in me. I am in Christ. Christ is in me by the Spirit. You called my name and you raised me from the dead. Maybe he's calling your name this morning. Maybe he's wanting to raise you from the dead this morning. Oh, respond. It's a call that is is irresistible, but you must confess him as Lord, repenting of your sin and placing faith in him as your Savior. Verse 2. In you, my life's completely new. He does a new work. It's a new creation. I'm blameless in your eyes because of Calvary, where Jesus died. The Father welcomes me with joy. Listen, Paul calls him Father at the beginning of this prayer in chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says, pray thee, our Father. He's your Father if you're in Christ. If you're not, He's not. You're an orphan if you're not in Christ. You are homeless hopeless without God, but then God adopts you and he gives you a home and he becomes your father. The father welcomes me with joy. Your spirit makes me know your great love for me. Jesus, you're my all. Jesus, you're my all. And then put up the bridge, please. Bought with a price that cannot be measured. See, when I, when I read that, you know what I think about? I think about this line from verse 20. Able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. None of us were asking or thinking about eternity or God. None of us were seeking God. We were running from God, hell-bent to go our own way, running for the edge of the cliff and would have perished, would have fallen off this 1,000, 2,000-foot cliff and could care less about God. So I'm bought with a price that cannot be measured. I can't measure it. I didn't value it before. I value it now, but I'm just learning to value it. The blood of Jesus. 
chosen before all time. Ephesians 1 says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Imagine that. You were chosen before time. Chosen before all time. In Christ. You are my joy. Is he your joy? You are my prize. Is he your prize? You are my treasure. Is he your treasure? You know, this week I kind of lost the view of Jesus as my joy and my prize and my treasure. I had got my eyes on other things as my joy and my life and my pleasure and treasure. And because I wasn't getting those things, I was losing joy. I had lost focus. I was losing my way. And my brother helped me to refocus on that place, that altar, where Jesus gave his life. And then he, he focused my eyes on what God's doing all around me. And then... God, by his mercy, restored to me that that joy, that prize, that treasure. Jesus, you're my all. So let's stand, shall we? And let's sing this and ascribe glory to God.